Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, New Beginnings. How are we doing? All right, hey, I'm a student pastor, so we got to try this again. I need some more energy, all right? So let's liven up. It's 11 o'clock. Let's go. All right, so good morning, New Beginnings. How are we doing? There we go. There we go. I love it. All right. I won't say that the eight o'clock service did better than might have. We'll just see. All right. Um, but y'all just track with me. All right. Hey, my name is Colin Sosby. I serve as the student minister here at our Gilmer campus. Uh, and it's an honor just to say that. Uh, I love this city. Uh, I grew up in Harmony and uh, just having the, just the honor and privilege to come back home uh, and to serve the students, uh, knowing what they've walked through, knowing their past and history, knowing that that's a part of mine too, uh, is a huge joy of mine. And uh, my wife, Katie, who is hanging with our high school students right now, uh, is uh, just overjoyed as well. She's a Gilmer Buckeye, so, uh, you know, she's like ecstatic for Friday Night Lights. Uh, and I'm learning the culture, all right? Coach Turner's uh, helping me out. So it's, uh, it's just a huge joy to be here, and I'm excited. Uh, I'm also so thankful for Pastor Matt and Pastor Todd just for the honor and privilege to bring God's Word to you, all right? This is uh, something I don't take lightly, uh, and nobody should. It's, uh, it's a huge, uh, huge deal and a huge honor, um, and so I'm just super excited, all right? Now, it wouldn't be uh, really a complete Sunday if the student minister who's preaching didn't start off with the game, all right? Uh, so now, before you freak out and you're like, oh, man, we got to get up. Like, it's, it's 11. Y'all should be awake by now, but we're just going to start off something. It's just a thinking game, all right? But it will take some interaction, all right? So if you're not going to be uh, loud and excited, this is going to be uh, maybe boring for you and me, but we'll see, all right? I've got a, a small quiz. It's just two questions, but I just want to see your thought, all right? See your process on it. Uh, but these two things swept the nation for a long time, and one of them is still kind of uh, in debate on what it is, uh, but there's going to be something that pops up on the screen, and I want to know which you think it is, all right? But before you like blurt it out, we want everybody to process and think. Um, and so we're going to take a look at this first one, all right? Now, this is that thing that uh, your kids probably send you. It's a moving picture, basically, uh, less than a second, but uh, it's kind of got a debate on how you pronounce it, all right? So it's either GIF, hard G, or GIF, like peanut butter, all right? So uh, let's see, raise your hand if you think it is GIF, hard G, all right? Now, keep them up, keep them up, all right? This is the hard G people. Now, everybody look around. Everybody who's raising their hand is wrong. It is Jif, <laughs> like the peanut butter, all right? So sorry to disappoint you, but that's what it is, okay? This next one is, uh, it's a picture of a dress. Uh, your reaction already tells me that you know what it is, okay? About four years ago, this popped up on the scene, and everybody was debating what color it is, okay? Uh, the newest version of this is like the whole Yanny and Laurel thing uh, that, you know, kind of a mystery, but you get it. Uh, but this one, the debate is whether it's gold and white or blue and black. 
okay? Now, some of you, like, instantly you're like, that's easy, it's this. Now, before you jump to conclusions, I want you to just sit, think, maybe look at the details, I don't know. Um, But I'm not going to embarrass you on this one, okay? I'm not going to ask for your hands to be raised. But if you think it is gold and white, you're wrong. It's blue and black, okay? Uh, Now, you're kind of confused. I can see some of you are like, this doesn't make sense. In fact, somebody from the last service was like, I mean, you lost me on the picture thing, but, uh, you know, overall, good morning, right? And I was like, hey, hold on, hold on. Now, all of this is to be said is, in times, we see things like this go viral, right? Uh, It sweeps the nation. Everybody's talking about it. They're trying to debate what if if it's this or that. And some of us were hard set on it's this and you can't convince me otherwise. Uh, Some of you still right now are like, that is gold and white. Like you cannot tell me any different. And I just told you the answer. All right. I did a lot of research on this sermon and this was the most time I spent on it. Okay. Is this part right here? I'm (laughs) kidding with you. I'm kidding. It took me five seconds to just Google the answers, and what I found is, is that the creator, the person who took a picture of this dress, actually really, like, edited it to, like, the extreme, okay? Some of us do this with selfies. We don't like it. Put that filter on. That's what they did, okay? Editing, okay? The whole GIF thing. You're thinking, man, like, it just doesn't make sense. Even if you know what it stands for, you still don't, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, it still blows my mind that it's called GIF, but... The creator, the person who invented the GIF, is the one who sets the standard, right? He tells you that, hey, this is what it's called, okay? Same thing with this picture. The person who editing it and making it, is the, the, he's the creator. He's the one who decides what, if it's this or that, right? We can argue all day long, but if you go to the source, you are going to find the true answer, right? Now, we're in this series called Who's Your One? And this whole entire time, you've either been challenged uh, to think about your one, or you've been praying about your one, or you just ignored, and that's between you and God, but you've ignored the whole who's your one thing. And we've been challenging you with stories how Jesus has interacted with the one, or uh, maybe as somebody talking with one person uh, to just sharing their faith and pointing to Christ. And uh, all of this to be said is you're going to at some point have this moment. You're going to be following in obedience, not only what the church has said, but what God has said. Remember, first week we talked about the Great Commission and the challenge of what it was. Now, if God has said it, it's not this great suggestion, great commission, right? God says that we do it. And so when Jesus said, hey, go and make disciples, it's taking some action, and it's going and having conversations with people all around. And what you're going to find out is there's some different theology out there, Right? You're going to have a conversation with somebody, and they're going to be like, man, like, I get it, but that's good for you. What's good for you is not good for me. Like, this is what I believe. This is what I think is true. If you don't honestly ever had that come up in evangelism, you're not probably talking about it enough. But somebody's going to be like, man, that sounds really good, but this is what I believe. And they're going to be pointing to this. Now, we live in East Texas, There's like 22 Baptist churches in Gilmer. There's a church on every corner. Like you can pick and go to. Now, they're not, surprisingly, all proclaiming the same message. They may be saying, hey, Jesus is a way. Or you can believe this, but man, Jesus did die for your sins, but you need to act right. You need to uh, shape up and, you know, fix yourself, right? And so all of these things are being said, even if it's just hinted at. But the reality is, is there's so many uh, different thoughts and different theologies. We need to go to the source, right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to just kind of share this with you. Is that, uh, you know, we kind of talked about different thoughts are coming up. You're going to have those conversations. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy who totally disagrees with them and is really kind of just uh, not focused on what God has for him. But in John chapter 3, I think this kind of resonates with us, and this story uh, kind of relates with us, but if you look at just this generation, I'm not talking about Gen Z, the one below you, I'm talking about the generation you belong to, the generation uh, that you live in, uh, studies would say this, this is from Gen IY, which is a book about us, and it says this, 65% of people will claim Christianity. So out of the whole entire world, 65% will claim Christianity. I think if we like, had this poll in Gilmer, it's different, right? There probably goes a little bit higher. But 65% will claim to be Christian. 43% of that number alone, 43% of the 65, claim that there's multiple ways to get to heaven. Okay? Now we've got some issues, Right? That's almost half of that number believes there is more than one way to get to heaven, to be saved. Now, before you start thinking like, man, that's any, no, that's 65% of people who claim Christianity, 50%, almost 50% are just totally messed up in their theology of salvation, right? So like I said, you're going to have discussion with people in the city of Gilmer who think just numerous different things and have different thoughts, and sometimes we even have the wrong thought about salvation as well. So Jesus is having this conversation in John chapter 3, so hopefully you're there, but Jesus is having this conversation, and he's saying, hey, this is how you can be saved, and so we need, to, we need to know the answers. We need to brush up on our theology of the gospel, of the saving faith of Jesus Christ. So if you're with me in John chapter 3, it says this in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when, uh, born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's the central point of this whole entire conversation is salvation. Nicodemus is this guy who just comes to Jesus in a midnight conversation and is just talking with him about how can somebody be saved. 
But I think there's some key things about this story, key truths about this story we need to hear, we need to pay attention to, and we need to see from the source and seeing what does it mean to truly be saved. So we're going to look at verse 1. Uh, verse 1, it said this, there was a man of the Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus. So here's the main character, here's the guy getting introduced. He's a man of the Pharisee. Now if you have never studied scripture, or this is maybe the thousandth time you've read this passage, uh, what you need to know about the word Pharisee is this means really good dude. Okay, really solid guy. Now, as a Pharisee, he's going to be the one who's following God. He would tell you, hey, I follow God. I, I follow the rules. Uh, this, ha- this guy had all five, the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Okay, I struggle with getting through Leviticus and Numbers when I'm trying to read it for the whole year. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm a sinner and I'm imperfect, but let's just, you know, that's just me. This guy had it memorized. And so it was a bunch of rules of, hey, you need to do this and do that. And they, he followed those things. He followed it to a T. I mean, this guy did not slip up. He was going to make sure he was devoted. Pharisee means separated one. And so he was trying to be devoted to being separate, not of the world or, you know, not in this world, but just kind of going separate from it. He wasn't going to be like the person who was lost. He was going to follow God. He was going to do the rules. He was going to accomplish them all, Right? I mean, these rules would get so intense where we have the Ten Commandments and, you know, you need to rest and you need to follow the Sabbath and be uh, be holy. Well, they would follow these rules so much that they had to have clarity on what it really means to be pure, right, with God. So they would add to it and say, okay, hey, we have these, now here's 600 more, okay? These would get as detailed to how many steps you can take on the Sabbath before it's considered work, right? And so they were like, hey, when you look at your Fitbit and you hit 2,000, if you go past that, you have done too much. Like, you need to stop. That is too much. That's considered work, and you're not respecting the Sabbath. They would have those rules, and Nicodemus would be following them, right? Now, not only is he a Pharisee, but it says he's a ruler of the Jews. So if we look at Nicodemus, the ruler, I mean, one, his name Nicodemus means victor over the people. He's set up for success for like ever because of that name, right? I mean, it just tells you what, where he's coming from. So now he's a ruler. Let's see him as the ruler. This is reference to him being a part of the Sanhedrin. Now, this is an elite group of uh, politicians, a part of the Pharisees. So out of the Pharisees, you may have had 6,000 people. Well, out of that 6,000 came down to 70 people who were an elite political group, and that's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had so much power over the people that they, you know, basically they say, hey, we're going to do this, the people followed. Even to the point where we're going to find out later uh, down the road in John that the Sanhedrin would say, hey, we need to put this Jesus guy to death. Now, they had the power to do so. And we know the end, uh, end of the Gospel of John, this happens, right? And so this is a very powerful group of people. Now, to be a part of the Sanhedrin, uh, you needed to be, uh, one, a Pharisee, so you need to follow rules. You needed to be, uh, you know, kind of come from a good heritage. So what we can tell about Nicodemus is he has a good family, right? He has, uh, you know, probably a really good last name that everybody recognizes and knows, hey, that means business. He comes from a legit family or a powerful family. He also had to be voted in, so it means he has a good reputation, it's not like he's, uh, like many times when we read about the tax collectors or the fishermen, like those had negative t- connotations with them. This guy was the opposite. This guy walking down the street, everybody knows like, hey man, that is the guy. He's a good guy. He follows the rules. He does what God says. He, he, he's so good at it that he's elite. 
Now, like in Gilmer, Texas, I know like we don't have elite families or come from good heritage or we don't care about the last name as much, maybe. I don't know. But we kind of, oh, wait, no, we do. (laughs) That's crazy. I'm sorry. I forgot. No, we do, right? We also have been a part of maybe areas where we know what, like, we need to act a certain way around this group of people. What I love about New Beginnings is we strive to be an authentic biblical community. Nicodemus wouldn't want to be a part of that. He wouldn't want you to get too deep into his life, right? The only, like, modern-day comparison I could think of uh, for Nicodemus is Tim Tebow. Anybody remember that cat? Uh, so before he had a struggling NFL career that turned into an MLB career, which is decent, uh, he was a college football hero. He was a legend, right? So Tim Tebow is uh, the guy we all looked up to, and it was for multiple reasons. I mean, killer college career. But he also, like, did the whole John 3.16 eye black thing, and then he was like, man, I'm not even going to be a part of The Bachelor. Like, I know I'm a handsome dude, but I'm saving myself for marriage. And we started hearing these things, and we're like, yeah, that dude's legit. Like that, we almost, I mean almost, if it came down to a vote for we needed a mascot for Christianity, Tim Tebow would have been it. <laughs> like there's no doubt, right? That would have been the guy. Now, like if you're not lying, like if you're just honest here, as a parent, you probably were like pushing Tim Tebow a little bit because you're like, man, I want my kids to grow up to be like him. I mean, it's the same thing with like Steph Curry, we love that he uses his influence for Jesus. Like, he, he's quoted for saying, like, hey, man, I'm not going to bash people over the head with the Bible. I just want people to see with my actions I'm playing for something different. So we love guys like that. Nicodemus, he's a guy like that. He's a guy that if he's walking down the street, you have respect for him. He is a good guy. He doesn't have a criminal background. He doesn't have a criminal record. He's not uh, a thief like a tax collector. He may not be, he is very educated, unlike the fishermen. This guy is legit. But the issue is, is what we kind of see in Nicodemus' life, comparing what Jesus has this conversation with him, is that he's really kind of putting his trust in the resume. So if we added some words of advice for you from scripture, it's don't trust in the resume. Nicodemus is so consumed in his past. In fact, I think this is what's going on, is Nicodemus is coming up to Jesus, and I've been taught that this was a really nice conversation. When I was studying this, I became more convinced that Nicodemus is actually uh, so consumed with himself that he thinks he's equal with God. Pride will distort your view of God. Pride will make you think, hey, I don't really need to depend on him. I don't really need to trust in him. I can do it on my own. Pride will make you think that because you trust in the resume, not the Savior. So Nicodemus, he's having this conversation literally just because he's like, man, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I mean, even look at the language he uses. He's like, hey, uh, rabbi and teacher. That's how you could describe Nicodemus as well. When he comes to Jesus by night, He's not, like, ashamed of who he is. He's kind of walking in. He's like, man, what's up? We're equal. You're a teacher, I'm a teacher. Rabbi, rabbi. When, he, when, G, when John is writing this out and he says he comes to Jesus by night, that is the same exact language that he uses uh, later on to describe Judas. It doesn't take uh, like a scientist or an English major to break down when uh, Jesus and the disciples are having the last supper to know that supper happens at night. But John places that Judas left by night. 
We know that. That's when you have dinner. That's when the grub is on. But the reality is, is it's not a picture of what time of day it is. It's a picture of his heart. It's showing you that he is spiritually in darkness. So Judas, or, uh, Nicodemus is on the same level as Judas when it comes to this. They're both in spiritual darkness. Judas would do something terrible. Nicodemus, he has a clean background. But they're both separated. They're both uh, far from God. They're both living in darkness. And it's because Nicodemus, his identity is strictly tied to what he's accomplished. As a Christian, if you're tying to what you've done for God and not tying yourself to God, there's an issue there. One is self-centered and one is gospel-centered. So we see the, the conversation kind of continues. So uh, Nicodemus kind of says, hey, you're a teacher, I'm a teacher, rabbi, rabbi. We know something special, but what's going on? And Jesus said to him, answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, I mean, how can a man be born when he's old? Like, does he uh, go to his mother's womb a second time? That's a funny question, but here's what I want us to see. Nicodemus never asked Jesus a question when he answered him. Nicodemus made a statement, and Jesus cuts to the heart, cuts to the chase, and he's saying, hey, the only way you can see the kingdom of God is if you're born again. I mean, understand, I didn't skip a verse. It went from verse 2, statement, to verse 3, Jesus answering. No question, right? The only question happens a little bit after in verse 4. And he says you have to be born again. What he's trying to point to is, hey, Nicodemus, you've accomplished a lot, but it doesn't mean anything. You've done a lot, but it's all for yourself. You've built your own kingdom. He's cutting to the heart. What I love about this is John chapter 2 even sets this passage up well. Uh, it's almost like an alley-oop. In verse 23 of chapter 2, it says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name uh, when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he, uh, he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows our hearts. He didn't need an introduction for Nicodemus. He knew his heart. He knew what, what he was about even before he stepped into the room. Now at this time, Jesus has like Justin Bieber status. Everybody is crowding around him. They're trying to just see, they're packing it out. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, he just turned water to wine. Now we're getting to this story. And I mean, there's a huge crowd. There's a huge following. They're for the entertainment. Like they've got their popcorn ready and they're watching the show. They're not really entertained really about like, oh, he's the son of God. They're entertained by the, the things he's doing, right? And so this is what uh, he's setting up for this story. He's literally trying to read Nicodemus and he's saying, hey man, you think you, you know it. Salvation, you think it's this, but it's actually not. What I need us to understand as a church when we're having conversations with the one is to know this, Christianity isn't about knowledge, but belief. Nicodemus had all the knowledge in the world, but he never believed. Just like the crowd, they saw him and they knew what he was doing, but they never believed that he was the son of God. They just thought he was a miracle worker. I mean, look, Nicodemus called him teacher and rabbi. It, it wasn't necessarily just shots, but it was just saying, hey, like, I don't really trust that you're the son of God like you claim. 
And so he's having this conversation, having all of this because he thinks Christianity or following God is all about the knowledge, but not about belief. Church, you are not going to hit a certain level and arrive. Christianity isn't about achieving something, it's about surrendering everything. And so when we get to this point, when we have these conversations, you have to understand this. I mean, Jesus would go on to talk about the Pharisees and say, hey, you're nothing better than whitewashed tombs. You look excellent on the outside, but inside you're dead. You're spiritually dead. We see it, Nicodemus is living in spiritual darkness. And he's saying, you don't get it. I mean, Nicodemus, when he even asks, like, how is this possible? How can I be born again? He's asking because he wants to know what he can do to get there. Jesus said nothing. When Jesus says, hey, you need to be born again, he's saying, hey, you need to be born from above. That's what that means in the Greek. You need a heart change, not more knowledge. You need heart change. You need to surrender. You need to give up, not more knowledge. Because if we're not willing to give up, what we're doing is we're just cleaning ourselves up to try to earn God's favor, earn his love, but we've not seen transformation on the outside. You'll still be greedy. You'll still be prideful. You'll still be all of those things that you're dealing with in your heart because you've never taken care of the source. You're just trying to do patchwork around the house. And so when he's talking about this, it kind of reminded me of this. I remember uh, when I was little, and by little, I mean like probably like even 16 still, uh, living at my parents' house and like just, you know, doing life. You know, teenagers, especially guys, we have like nasty rooms. It's hazardous, right? And so I remember like every once in a while, my parents would always remind me, hey, you need to clean your room. You need to clean your room. And I would like be like so distracted by video games or the Dallas Mavericks or whatever it is. At the time, they were good. uh, And so I was watching them, okay? And so I'm, I'm so devoted to those things. I was so distracted. I didn't actually want to do what my parents asked me to do. So I would think quick on my toes. I'm like, man, I know how to do this. I'm going to solve it real quick. I would run in there, and I'm throwing everything under the bed, everything in the closet. I'm putting stuff in the corner that you can't really see very well. It's hidden, but I'm hiding everything, and I'm like, man, it's clean. Well, then I forget, and I wasn't smart enough to remember, like, my parents must have had a secret job with the CSI or something, and so they would walk into my room, and they're starting to, like, uncover all the mess still. I'm like, hey, hold on. Don't open that door. It's an avalanche. You're probably going to die. Like, just hold on. I promise I'll get it clean later, right? And so we're just doing all of these things. That's what religion is. Religion is trying to clean up the mess, but you're not taking care of the source of the mess, Religion is trying to clean yourself up and make yourself look good when Christianity says, hey, no, you need to die to yourself. You need to die to yourself. You need to surrender. You need to give it all up. Nicodemus couldn't get over that. He thought it was something he could achieve. He thought it was something, a level he could just have enough knowledge about that if he got that to that point, he would have it all solved. But that's not the point. I mean, Jesus, even in his response, verse 5, said, Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, he talks about being born of flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. He's talking about two different realms here. This is not a conversation about baptism. When being born of uh, water and born of spirit is not a conversation about baptism. In fact, it's a, uh, it's a quote from an Old Testament passage in Ezekiel 36. 
Uh, so if you want to write that down in the margin, check it out tomorrow for your uh, time with God. Ezekiel 36, and starting in verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your, all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be born of water and spirit to see the kingdom of God, he's quoting this saying, hey, it's not the outside appearance, it's not your knowledge, you need heart change. You need to be cleansed by me. You need a new spirit. Here's how I identify with this, is that I know my heart and it's rotten. I need all the help I can get. I also know that I do not have the power on my own to choose God when I'd much rather watch another episode of Stranger Things on Netflix and not read my Bible. Like, just be honest. Or when I wake up, I'd much rather scroll through Facebook and Instagram than spend a little bit of time in prayer with him. Or I'd much rather just take care of the, the daily things or already start thinking about everything else going on in my life instead of just spending time with him. When he's saying, hey, I will cleanse you of all the idols, all the filth, that is him referencing, hey, there's going to be a point I am going to die on the cross and my blood is going to cleanse you. That's the cleaning power of Jesus. But also, I'm going to put a spirit in you that is going to give you the power to crave things outside of this earth. That you're going to have a desire for me. When he uses that word spirit, it's the same time in Acts 1.8 when he says uh, and the spirit will come upon you. It means power, right? We're going to be given power. We're going to be given a teacher. We're going to be given a helper. All because of the heart transformation that's going on. And if you, we just need another reminder, when we're having these conversations, we need to remember salvation has nothing to do with your works, but all in what Jesus has done. Jesus changes us. Jesus uh, completely removes our sins. He makes us new. He makes our heart new and that we would chase after him and turn our back on sin. We can't do it on our own. We need the power of Jesus. We need his spirit. We need these things. And I love in verse eight, he talks, he's referencing about the work that the spirit does. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Here's what I need you to just kind of understand. Christianity may be something just mystical and we don't understand it, but it is evident. We're not doing the works like to earn the salvation. It's because of salvation that we do the work. So the change that is happening is evident, right? So a couple months ago, we had a storm uh, that went through Longview. Um, some debate, it was a tornado, some uh, straight line winds. You know, no matter what, I was working in Spring Hill at the time. Uh, and it was a Wednesday night, and I remember it perfectly. The power had started kind of messing with us, and we were just kind of wondering what was going on. Uh, we knew there was a storm outside. I just didn't understand how bad it was, right? I didn't see it. Um, now, the effects of the wind turned out something like this. If you look on the screen, uh, this is Eden Street, really kind of in the midsection of Longview. And so Eden Street got tore up, right? I mean, it's clear. If you looked at that picture and said, you know what, I don't think that was a tornado. I'd be like, man, you're crazy. The Hulk doesn't live in real life. That didn't happen because of him. That's wind, right? I didn't see the wind. I didn't see the, I just saw the storm. I just saw the rain. I wasn't on Eden Street at that time. But what I do know 
as I've seen the effects of the wind. The Spirit works and it's evident. The Spirit moves through us and it's evident. You cannot stay the same and claim to be a Christian. If you were at all walking through these doors and you come in with uh, maybe a sin struggle or you're just struggling with something and you leave the same, you're not paying attention or the Spirit isn't inside you. You're just a whitewashed tomb. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. The Spirit, once, he, once you receive the Spirit, it's evident. He's working. There's no doubts about it. There's no doubt that a storm went through Longview. You can argue with me all day. I was without power for four days in the middle of, like, Texas heat. It's evident something happened. Just the same when the Spirit, when you receive the Spirit, something happens. You're made new. You're made new. But what I love is that Nicodemus is still just kind of struggling with this. He's struggling with this idea. He's wrestling with it. He's just trying to figure it all out. Nicodemus in verse 9. How can these things be? I love Jesus' response. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You're a really good guy, Nicodemus. You have an impressive resume. You've done things most people could not do. You're a part of an elite club that not everybody gets to be a part of. You're even a teach, the teacher. I mean, look at that, the teacher. And yet you don't understand this. Jesus would try to say, hey, I tried to explain it to you in earthly terms. You didn't get it. How can I explain it in heavenly terms? I tried to explain it to you that way. But here's what Nicodemus is wrestling with. We've already talked about it. It's the pride issue that he has. He's trying to figure out how he can do it. That's all his questions are pointing back to men. That sounds good. How can I do it? That sounds great. How can I do it? Yeah, I get it. You're, you're trying to say that you're the only one who can accomplish it, but how can I do this? Nicodemus is struggling because he's trying to rely on his own strength and not re- realize that the weakness is what we need. We need to embrace the weakness. This is a quote, uh, not of my own. I've heard it from uh, multiple pastors, but it has uh, stuck to me and it's uh, really impacted my life. If dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. Christianity is all about us saying, hey, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer. I am completely depending on Jesus. So if that's the goal, is to us become less and him become more, and we're to become dependent on him, then weakness is to our advantage. Nicodemus didn't like that idea. He wanted to point on his strength. He wanted to rely on his power and might. But remember that conversation we just had about sometimes we wake up in the morning and, you know, we kind of go throughout our day without spending time with him? Or I was having a conversation, this was with Coach Boyette from White Oak, who's a uh, two-time state championship coach, has made the playoffs like 20 years in a row. His resume looks great when it comes to basketball. And I was having a conversation with him at White Oak Middle School uh, before the end of the year. I said, Coach, what's the secret, man? What's the secret to success? 
And he says every single day before he goes into uh, the gym to coach basketball, he says one simple prayer. God, I need you and use me in the way that you want to use me. I felt convicted because I wake up sometimes and I don't ever say a prayer. All that is saying is I can do it on my own. That's all that's pointing to. If dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. Sometimes we boast in our strength, but the scriptures say boast in your weakness because that's where you're made strong. If dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. The gospel exposes, but Jesus provides. We see that in this story. That you can't do it on your own. He exposes your heart that you're in need of a savior, but he provides the way. Now imagine if we went on a trip and we're, you're going to a foreign country that you've never been before. This is your first time. Uh, and let's just say that you're a little bit lost and you're trying to get to a certain location, right? Now, uh, in foreign countries, they kind of have different ways of transportation, and it may be just hard for you to understand if you're looking at a map, but let's just say you're lost, right? Now, if you're lost, you're going to ask somebody, hopefully, uh, let's say Google Maps is out of the picture, but you're going to ask, hey, how do I get to this location? Well, you're going to kind of become dependent on their answer. Now, imagine if that person is sitting there and they're like, man, any of these roads will take you. You can take any of these highways to get you. Like, imagine if I was uh, not from this area, and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm trying to meet with Coach Turner. I need to get to Jeff Trailer Stadium. How do I get there? And you're like, any of these highways will take you. You just, you'd get on a road, and you go. One, one of these oil top roads is going to get you in circles, and you're going to end up in Betty, and you don't even know how, right? <laughs> but two, like, if I was just like, man, I'm going to take 155, and I'm just going to go. You're going to hit Or City, and you're going to hit Jeff Trailer before you hit Jeff Trailer Stadium, right? If I believed you, honestly, like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever this person said. They said, any road will lead me there. <laughs> the issue with it is it's not true. If you trust that person, you're going to be like, man, that's loving advice. Until you figure out it's not loving advice, he actually led you astray. The reality is with those percentages that we mentioned at the beginning of this message, is that when 65% claim Christianity and 43% say any way is going to be the way, that's not loving advice. You're leading people astray. We have to be hard-pressed to know, hey, the only way is through Jesus. You cannot do it. You need him. Depend on him. Lean on him. Trust him. Because here's what I know. If I was going to England, the Queen of England, if I asked her for advice, she would know where to go because she's been there. She lives there. Just like if I was to ask or look for how do I get to heaven, I'm going to want to ask the King of Heaven because he's been there. He knows how to get there. I mean, look at uh, this last half of these verses. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is Jesus. If he's the only one who's been and come down, I'm going to ask him, hey man, how do I get there? How can I be saved? That's the source. Let's do a little experiment. If you go home this afternoon, uh, I want you to just quickly go to, to Google or www.google.com just in case you needed some help, right? Type in how do I convert to and just leave it blank and see what the options are for you to select. Now, you're going to get a whole bunch of religions. So from uh, Mormonism to becoming a Muslim or whatever it is, you're going to get a whole bunch of options. 
Now, the hard part is you're going to click on one of those options. You're just going to read. And what you're going to see is, man, you need to strive to Mecca. You need to strive and be good. You need to strive and do this. Strive, strive, strive. You need to accomplish this. You need to do this. To become saved, this is what you need to do. But Jesus, it's the opposite. Jesus says, hey, you don't need to strive. In fact, your striving is getting you in a lot more pain. Your striving is leading you astray. You need to look. See in verse uh, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a picture of the Old Testament, and you have to go back to Numbers 21 uh, to read this. Uh, the people of God are in the wilderness, and they're just stranded, and they, they feel lost. They're wondering what's going on. They complain to Moses, like, man, why did God uh, get us out of Egypt if he's just going to leave us here behind and lost, right? And a classic move by the Israelites, that's what they do, okay? They complain, and God shows up. Well, so God has a little bit of a plan for them. There's snakes everywhere, Okay, and so they're in like, I mean, imagine backwoods, East Texas, snakes everywhere. They're getting bit. And so because they get bit, the venom uh, poisons them and they fall over and die. The point was for the new generation to rise up. And so all of this is going down and they're just kind of struggling. And so they go to Moses like, man, hey, can you, we need a solution to this. We need the snakes gone. Can you please talk to God and see if he'll relent? Like if he'll hold back? Well, and so Moses uh, comes to God, goes uh, before God on behalf of the people, and he says, hey, God, this is what's going on. Like, I mean, there's snakes everywhere. We're losing people left and right. I mean, what, what can we do? And God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make uh, this image of a serpent. I want you to put it on a staff and go before the people and hold it up every single day. And what you need to do is tell them if they look at the serpent, it's an act of obedience, knowing that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And they will get bit, but the venom will not kill them. Guys, I love what J.D. Greer has to say about this passage. He said, we get bit. I mean, look at reference to Genesis 3. The snake will bite your heel. But Jesus took the venom. Jesus took the venom. We do not suffer the punishment out of that. Jesus took the venom. He died on our behalf so that we could see life everlasting. We could spend eternity with him. But we're left with the choice here. If we understand that, we come to a grip that, hey, it's not about what we do, but it's all about what Jesus has done. And dependency, that's the goal. And weakness is the advantage. We have nothing to offer here. We're left with the choice. The choice is being kind of something like this. Say you're out to dinner with a friend and uh, it's a very expensive place. And it's one of those places where you're trying to decide like, okay, I'm gonna try to stay under this. So we're gonna split this meal and I'm not gonna order the appetizer even though that looks delicious. I'm just trying to stay on budget. I can't afford this place. You know, it's gonna break me a little bit. Now imagine you get to the restaurant and the friend is like, hey man, uh, Hey, don't worry about the bill. Order what you want. It's on me tonight. Well, dang, that's awesome. Getting the steak, we're going all out, man. We're eating it. Well, imagine if in the middle of that dinner, the friend gets a phone call and he's like, hey, I've got to go. It was work. There's something that popped up. I've got to handle it. Uh, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay for the meal. You know, you can still enjoy it. Uh, but when the waitress comes by, here's the payment. It's covered. 
that's great, right? Well, when the waitress comes by, you're left with the choice on, do you accept the gift or do you reject it? Do you pay for your own meal and say, okay, hey, this was for his, just get the change. You can keep some of it as a tip. Like, what is it? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He lived the life you could never live. He died the death we deserve. He took the punishment that was really rightfully owned to us. Like, we, we should get that. Now, you're left with the choice. Do I accept the payment or do I reject it? Do I try to fix it on my own? Do I try to strive? I mean, how pointless is it for Jesus to die on the cross if, we, if that was like just one way? If we could do it on our own, why would God send his son? So it's up to us, do we accept the payment or do we reject it and try to fix it? What happens is you're gonna try to say, man, I can do it. I'm gonna get, rely on my own strength. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna achieve it. You're still in spiritual darkness. Only Jesus saves. Only he can make us clean. But yet we try to believe the lie that Satan says, man, you can do it on your own. Try a little bit harder. Strive, strive, strive. But just like how Moses lifted up the serpent in an act of obedience, Jesus says, look. Jesus died on the cross. His arms stretched out wide, beaten and bruised, said, look. Don't strive. Look. I'm the answer. Look. Look. But so many times we're just stuck in the religious path and we're like, man, if I, if I looked, man, the people are going to be ashamed of me. They're going to think, man, I was just a fraud and I was faking. No, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you do here at the church. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. Jesus says, look, I want to make this personal for you this morning. Verse 16 is one that you've memorized by heart. It's been at every VBS since you were born, and you know the King James Version inside and out. But let's just read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not might have eternal life, might not, hey, this is an answer, but you gotta try a little bit. No, you will have eternal life. You will be saved. And he loved you. That Greek word for the world means cosmos, the universe, all of his creation. He loved his creation so much, he sent his son to die on the cross to make a way for that relationship that was broken to be mended again. He came to us. Where we keep striving, we have to remember, he, it's not us about striving, it's him coming to us. It's about us looking. We have to look the serpent has been raised. The son of man has been raised. We need to look. God loved you. Now, you may have a distorted view of God. That's what religion does is it distorts our view of God. And we may think, man, he's angry at me. He's upset with me. He can't believe I did this. And so we try to work harder. That's where the striving comes in. We try to work harder. But the, here's the truth I want you to see. It's verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's not angry at you. He loves you. He wants you to look. He wants you to look. Church, Jesus did what nobody on earth could ever do. There's so many different religions, but all of those guys that started those religions are dead. Jesus is sitting on the throne alive saying, I've conquered death. 
just look. So what I'm gonna ask us to do is just bow our heads and close our eyes. We're gonna lead into a time of response. Some of us, we've been doing this church game for a really long time. We've been trying to strive and Jesus says, look. And so what we're gonna ask is that the ministers and their wives are gonna be up here, up at the front. And if for so long this has been you, your life has been that you've been striving and just working and just trying to achieve, but you've never looked, today is the day to look. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Insert your name into that statement. God so loved Colin Sosby that he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins so that all I would have to do is look and trust. Some of us have never accomplished that. We've been in church a long time, but we've never looked and trust. If we're honest, you're Nicodemus today. So you're either Nicodemus or you know Nicodemus. You're either needing to look or we're pointing to the person to look at. So that's the response. We're gonna sing in a time of worship after I pray. When I say amen, we're gonna stand up and respond in worship. We're either rejoiceful because we've looked or today is the day of salvation and you need to look. You need to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Let's get after it, church. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've given us. God, I'm asking right now that you would move in the hearts of your people. God, that you would turn our eyes to see who you are so that we'll see who we're not. God, we are thankful for salvation. We are thankful for the way that you provided it. God, that we don't have to strive, but we just need to look. So God, I'm asking that you would save today. It's in your name that we pray.